There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, hand-picked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Donovan Dooley from North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I'm Isaiah Smalls from Miles College in Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, everyone. I'm coming to you from New York City. We'll get back to the fellows in a minute. Uh, but today we're talking about football and the Winter Olympics. That seems to be probably disconnected, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to make it work. Uh, there's a new film out about the history of HBCU football players entering the National Football League and what that transition looked and felt like. Uh, the film's producer, Anthony Smith, and director, Michael Gleaton, will join us. Uh, then in the second half of the show, the fellows and I are going to talk about the FBI, oh boy, here we go, the FBI's college basketball investigation that revealed at least 20 Division One men's uh, programs broke NCAA rules, surprise, surprise, uh, broke NCAA rules by having players on the roster who received illegal uh, benefits, including some NBA rookies and some of the programs that you may have thought were untouchable. But before we get into that, by now you've undoubtedly heard about uh, Jocelyn LaRouc, the Canadian women's hockey player who refused to wear her silver medal during the Olympic awards ceremony. Actually, she didn't refuse to wear it. They gave it to her, they put it around her neck, and then she took it off. This was after her team lost 3-2 to two in an overtime shootout with Team USA. Now, the Canadian women's team has dominated the last four Olympics, while this is the first U.S. women's team a gold medal in 20 years. That's a long time. Uh, LaRoque received praise and criticism for her actions, similar to when Cam Newton stopped answering questions after his team lost the Super Bowl, and why uh, Syria... Uh, uh, Bonalay, she didn't even take the uh, the podium during a major competition because she thought that she deserved the goal, which I love. I just have a quick question for uh, for Donovan and Isaiah: Is this bad behavior, uh, Donovan, or is a human reaction to losing a high stakes competition? Honestly, I think it can be both. I mean, everybody's had that moments where you've had where you've been sad about coming in second place or not coming in first. I mean, any real competitor who's played sports or has done anything at a competitive level knows that it hurts to lose. Like, it's not a good feeling to come out there and try to give it all you have and to come up not on top. So for her to take that medal off, I understand where she's coming from completely. There have been many times in my life where I've come second place and didn't want to accept that second place trophy or second place award or what have you. And so was it technically bad sportsmanship? Yes. But it was also a human reaction to the fact of, you know, people, it hurts to lose. People, you can't expect everybody to put on a politically correct face and do a politically correct stature to go out there and get a second place trophy. It hurts to lose. And I think real competitors um, sympathize with her and what she did. Uh, yeah, you bring up a good point there, Donovan. I mean, all right. So if, I, if, I'm, in her, if I'm in her place, of course, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be hurt. But I feel like 
the real show of greatness, you know, is you got to show face both when you win and when you lose. That's how you know someone's true character. If you're going to go out there and not give it your all, give it your all, and then sometimes you come up short. But I feel like you have to put on that professional face both in the face of winning and losing. So I feel like she should have, you know, gone up there and then take it off, you know, away from the cameras. Because if, if you take it off, uh, take off your medal, you know, in front of everybody, you know, that's going viral, especially in this age, you know, that's going to be everywhere. So I feel like you just have to, you know, put on your game face, the same game face that, you know, you had throughout the competition. And you got to have that same game face on win or lose. I mean, and I don't know what you think. We have, by the way, we have uh, our, our producer, Aaron Matthewson. Uh, in the studio because you know Aaron, she, she's going to be our, our our Winter Olympic figure skating guru because she was a comp- competitive figure skater in New Mexico, and so she's going to, which is just a lot to explain explain to do with that. But Aaron, what do you think? I mean, you've been in a lot of competitions and particularly in figure skating, which is solo and all that. Do you have sympathy to somebody who basically, you know, they? I mean, let's say you beat them out, you beat them fair and square. You get the first place medal, then they get the second, then they don't want to accept it. It's like, well, hell, if you would have done better, you would have won. You know, don't take it out on me. What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I kind of agree with what I've heard so far. Uh, fortunately, I've never, well, not, maybe not fortunately, I've never been in that situation. But I think about what would, if I had students, what would I teach them? If somebody lost, I would not advocate making a show. I'd be like, you lost, suck it up. We'll talk about it after you get off. <laughs> right. um, but I do think, you know, in the heat of the moment, I mean, you're human. And this, the stakes are high at the Olympics. You've been training. You only get to go to these things every four years. So if you lose, it's a long time. And you, you may not even come back. So mm. I'm not mad. But, you know, I, I do think if you can, wait till you're off the camera. Because it affects more than just that moment. Surya Bonalay, she didn't take the podium in 1994. So that's 24 years ago and people are still talking about that incident and and she has been labeled a bad girl and she's been labeled unsportsman like for 24 years that's a mm. long time to live with a moment of humanness so something you got to think about well it's not going to happen to joyce yeah. laroque yeah. trust me they're not going to you know again i think there's double standard uh, although as you pointed out she has been getting criticism but i just i can't imagine if that were like a black athlete and and then he, he or she took off the medal after, you know, I mean, I think that it would be all over Sports Center. People would be killing them. I mean, I, you know, so I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, yeah, go ahead, Isaiah. I just think I just think that, honestly, at the end of the day, you don't want to look like a sore loser, you know. Right. Uh, going out there, getting Donovan. it all, and then sometimes <laughs> you come up short. But, like, because yeah. if you get beat, you get beat. You get beat. Like, at, someone has to lose. Right. Someone has to lose. And this well, time it might have been you. But Ooh, I just wouldn't give, especially, you know, if you lose and it's close, you're giving the winner satisfaction, you yeah. know, that when you become a sore loser. Or you're, or you're, you're disrespecting, you're, I, you're disrespecting the, the uh, winner. What about that? If you do that, you're disrespecting the winner. Like, I don't know if it's disrespecting the winner. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I don't know if it's disrespect. It is disrespect. If I'm, if I'm the winner, I'm kind of laughing at you. If I'm the winner, I'm not going to care if like the person yeah. who lost is taking off their silver medal. Yeah. I'm not going to care because exactly. I have to go. Guys, I think there's a difference between also, you know, you like in a game like hockey, you win because of points. Like it's there's a very clear like winner and loser you scored points you didn't right. whereas think, something like figure skating I think it's and maybe other sports where it's where you're judged right. on someone else's opinion yes I think that's tough you have like it's like a different thing because yeah. like 
what if you do feel like, well, I feel like I skated better, but what I think that, you know, it's a different right. thing. But they lost. I mean, you're right. That's a great point, Aaron. In other words, her team lost three to two. It wasn't like, you know, it was, t- I mean, you lost. Two and and overtime. Yeah. And the question to Jocelyn is that, Jocelyn, did you do every single thing you could do to help your team win? And did you, you play? Team. Yeah. Did you play? Yeah. A team. Did you play a perfect game? If you didn't like, like I said, suck it up. You know this. I mean, you know, I mean, like you, I don't who, who said it. Don, I, I mean, I say somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. You lose, you know. You, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not asking you to smile on the podium, you know, but don't take the damn yeah. medal. Now, protest is different. You know, taking a knee during that. I mean, that, that's that's different. Even, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, we're not even getting into well, that. Yeah, we're not getting into that. We're not getting into yeah, that. Yeah, so anyway, hey, by, by the way, since, since since we're on the Winter Olympics, we're gonna we, we've said goodbye to the Winter Olympics. It's gone. Did uh, did you guys watch? Did Donovan uh, and and Isaiah? Did you guys watch the Winter Olympics? What's the Winter Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I agree with Donovan on that one. I did not watch the Winter Olympics. There was a the All Star Weekend, couldn't fade. Um, college basketball on, so I definitely couldn't fade. Uh, yeah, nah, I did not, could not tune in. Can't relate. Listen, you could you could admit that you watch curling. You won't you won't lose your HBCU tag that you watch curling. So you just want me to lie? You just want me to lie? No. Yeah, he just want you to lie. Uh, but on the national podcast, he just wants you to lie right now. Okay. Well, let me let me ask Aaron Matthew again, our our, our Olympic figure skating uh, expert. You did watch. Uh, what did you think of figure skating? But I didn't. I don't know if I'm wrong, but I didn't hear a lot of buzz around it this year. Well, I mean, I have to be honest. Uh, this is probably the first Olympics I have watched in many years. When I ended my figure skating career, I was really sad and upset and so i just i could not watch figure skating well, isn't that kind of like taking your medal off that you know you finish your no. career and you don't watch anymore it was, it was by myself so nobody could say anything um and i wasn't winning so um but i i actually was tuning in mainly actually because i was writing a story about saria bonale mm-hmm. very good story by the way on undefeated thank you um so yeah so i i tuned in because well, uh, I, I wanted to watch the skating, and, and there's a new scoring system that's apparently really complex, and it's very different from when I was skating. Um, and some people are saying this is part of the reason why a lot of people didn't tune in to the Winter Olympics and to figure skating as a whole, because it was just too too hard to understand. Unfortunately, the American women didn't do that well. Uh, Mirai Nagasu actually landed a triple axel at the beginning of the the Olympics to help get Team USA a, a bronze medal, but then wasn't able to do it again in the final in her final program, and she ended up falling. In fact, mm. all the Americans fell. Mm. Um, yay! I mean, I mean not, not yay. I didn't mean that. Well, it's you know, it's, it's funny. Yay. I, know. <laughs> I mean, but you know, I mean, it's, it, it, when remember when she did the trip? The problem with the United States is that we make everything such a big deal, and like we're just like. When she did the triple, oh my god! You know, we've just got this god complex here that every single thing, and particularly, I hate to, you know, when there's a white kid, you know, it's just this bigger than life thing, and you're almost kind of kind of happy when they fall because it's like, damn, you know, you know. Well, I, I don't know if I agree. I, I do. I think a triple axel is huge deal and there's only seven other women who've done it and she's the first american woman to do it in olympic competition which is amazing but the problem is nobody knew about mariah nagasu unless you were really following figure skating it's like mm-hmm. who was that like there were no stars she had got left off the team right yeah. 
She uh, got left off the team a few years. I mean, uh, the last Winter Olympics. I'll have to double check. Yeah. But yeah, she, I mean, well, who is was she? Huh? Like, yeah, right. Um, and and she's. I think she's talking about doing uh, Dancing with the Stars after this. But it's like, <laughs> I don't think anybody really cared. There's no star power here. And I think that's actually an issue with the Olympics as a whole. Even though it was allegedly the most diverse Olympics ever, there were four black people on the American Well, that, well, that explains it. <laughs> that's, 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 why that's why people didn't tune in. I don't know. What do you guys think? Maybe there are just a lot more sports competitions to mm-hmm. watch. So it's, you don't have to watch Winter Olympics. Or it's just that you haven't heard of half of these things. Like half pipe. And yeah, I mean, they, they, they invent these sports just so a certain demographic group can win. I mean... Yeah, honestly, I, Snowboard, one of the I mean, biggest things really? uh, for me when I watch sports is, like, being able to relate. So, like, being able to understand why you made that play, why you shot that shot, and stuff like that. But I can't relate to anything in the Winter Olympics. Like, I'm not a big ice skater. Never done curling before. What? I mean, I've skied Culturally a deprived, times, but, man. like, <laughs> that's not, you know, something that I 100%, you know, have to tune into tune into. Well, that see, makes sense. If you if you'd have cho- if you yeah, like the University said, of Vermont, I don't know this Winter Olympics you guys speak of. I still don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's okay. Right. All right. Well, <laughs> listen, we get the we get the we get the idea. But, but but I appreciate Aaron coming on, and you know you have to have some diversity. You know, like all black folks can not not watch it. You know, you have some you gotta have a figure skater. Um, so Aaron, thank you very much for coming on and breaking it down for us. And, My pleasure. Yes, and so we're going to take a break, and then we're going to uh, actually we're going to talk about the uh, this uh, NCAA scandal because it's a big deal. The FBI uh, has has uh, launched uh, an investigation, and it's netted about twenty Division One men's uh, men's programs uh, that broke rules. Big deal. So we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come right back and talk about. It. Uh, welcome back to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. On the line uh, uh, with me is Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse College and Donovan Dooley from North Carolina Anti-University. And, uh, you know, hey guys, the, the big news uh, today, particularly, you know, you guys really study college hoops and we're going into March Madness. The big news is the FBI's college basketball investigation revealed that at least 20 Division One men's program may have uh, broken NCAA rules uh, by having players on the roster who received illegal uh, benefits. Uh, some of these are the top programs in the nation: Duke, Texas, Kentucky, uh, and and some NBA rookies uh, are, are being implicated as well. Uh, just just what do you think about this? Um, this clearly is going to be a you know a couple months ago we had the uh, uh, the the scandal that the FBI uncovered involving uh, shoe companies, Adidas in, in particular. Now we've got this. Um, Isaiah, are you surprised uh, about this? What's your reaction? Oh, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, these are some of the top players in the country, um, and their schools, you know, are not treating them as such. So if I'm a top player in the country, I'm not saying that I'm going to go out, you know, like, hey, who's going to find me money? Who's going to give me money? But if an agency offers to, you know, buy some, you know, f- buy some for my mom, you know, pay for my meal, something like that, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going to say no because I'm a hungry college student. Like I'm hungry now as a senior, so I can only imagine what a what a freshman is feeling. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. But what I'm, you know, more curious 
to find out, as you know, the story unfolds, is how much knowledge did these coaches know? Because, I mean, like you said, you mentioned there were some of the top programs, Duke, UNC, you know, USC. I want to see how much these coaches knew. Mm-hmm. What about you, Donovan? What, right. what, what, what do you think? Or what what do you think when you heard this news? For me, I think this is, might be the icing on the cake. I think this is the last straw for the NCAA to finally amend their rules and let these players go get a check. Let these players get a check, man. If you don't want these players to to make money and make profits off of their abilities on the basketball court, on the football field, or whatever, then you have to allow rules in place that allow these players to be compensated, whether that's going to be by the NCAA or is it going to be letting these letting these players go early to, a, to the professional ranks? Because it makes no sense for you guys at the NCAA to sit there and act like they're being blindsided when when players and stuff break the rules when they're making billions of dollars off these athletes on the basketball court, on the football field, and whatever playing field that's uh, under the NCAA bylaws. It makes no sense for them to feel like they're being blindsided by these by these players who are uh, essentially breaking their laws when they're treating them basically as property and as, you know, like Isaiah said, not the top players in the country that can monetize their talents. And so it, I think this selfish. is the last draw for... Yeah, it's very selfish. I think this it's is the very, last very draw selfish. for... Well, yeah. it's a monopoly. I think this is the last draw oh. for the NCAA to finally come in and say we need to change something and we need to break off these players a little something something that we're getting off the labor of their backs but everybody's not making i mean this this, this, this gets into another argument i mean not everybody is is making money i think that what you're saying is that if somebody is willing to give me some money whether it's a an agency or somebody wants me to make a commercial i should be free to accept the money. In other words, I, I'm not making them give me the money. I completely agree yeah. with that. You have all these players doing the work. Like, if you go, if you've ever been to an NCAA tournament game, you should see how many people are there and are just energized. And they, because college basketball is a very, very unique product. It's, there's not many, like, professional sports that can capture that energy that just all or nothing. You know, those final shots that you've seen, you know, the Michael Jordan one, the, the Chris Jenkins one, the Christian Leitner, like those are iconic shots and not just college basketball and basketball history. And these, the main people driving, you know, this product are not getting compensated. Like that's ridiculous. They're not getting anything. Well, they're getting, an, oppor- they're getting an opportunity. Like for, wait a minute, Isaiah, well, don't say not getting anything. Yeah. They're, they're going to some of the top universities in the country and they are having an opportunity to get a degree. And for for the most part, doing it with only having to pay something nominal, you know. So it's not like they're not getting anything. They're they're getting something. They're getting an opportunity to get a degree, which is no small thing. thing, What? Which I I, I agree that I agree that Mr. Rowan, they are getting a chance to get a free education. I understand that, but when you compare that to the amount of money the NCAA is making and these universities are making off these players back, it's not even close to being reciprocal. It's everybody, being reciprocal. everybody. Is, and if is, I'm the NCAA, Sam Houston. This is my thing. If I'm the NCAA, how is it hurting me to let these players make some money on the side from these um, sports agencies? They're still on the court uh, for my university under my organization, the NCAA, and they're still producing a product for me 
is so why do not why can't I let these players get paid by a sports agency? Why can't I let these players appear in a commercial? In that sense, it could be helping my brand moving forward. If I'm the NCAA, so why are we holding these players hostage from making money itself right there? That well, that to me doesn't make any well, sense. Well, let me players. just say we're going we're going to they're selfish. All right. Well, we're going to talk about this a little more next week. Um, I I just think in in, in closing out this segment, um, I was listening to a law enforcement official in Nevada the other day, and they were talking about he was saying that people thought that when they legalized marijuana, it would cut down on the gang violence and the violence over drugs. And in fact, it has not done that. In fact, it's almost escalated it. So I don't know that necessarily – you know, paying players and let them accept money is going to alleviate the problem. It may just exacerbate the problem, but it's a debatable issue and a debatable issue. And we're going to talk about it again next week. Um, uh, Isaiah Donovan, um, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about a great new documentary about HBCUs, HBCU football, uh, in just a second. If you're just now tuning in, you're listening to HBCU 468. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm on the phone with Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse College and Donovan Dooley from North Carolina Anti-University. And let's move on to HBCU players in the National Football League. Uh, in honor of Black History Month, the NFL Network is airing an encore presentation of a remarkable film, Breaking Ground, which features the stories of HBCU alums and NFL legends like uh, Jerry Rice, Mel Blunt, Doug Williams, and Marquette King. It's a one-hour documentary, and each of these players shares their experiences at historically black colleges and how that experience prepared them for playing in the National Football League. Uh, on the line uh, with us today is uh, we're really lucky to have the producer of the film, Anthony Smith, who's produced features about the NFL draft, multiple Super Bowls, and several documentaries, including A Tale of Two Cities, which detailed the longstanding rivalry between the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, on this film, he teamed up with our director, uh, Michael Gleaton, to create the film, and it's really, really great. Uh, uh, Michael's on the line with us today as well, and he's been a filmmaker for more than 18 years, and he worked on the NFL Network's Emmy-nominated original series, Undrafted. So, hey, hey uh, welcome to the show, Anthony, and uh, welcome, Michael. Thank you guys for coming on. Bill, thank you for, thank having, you for having me. Yeah, no, no, it's a pleasure. Uh, I, I know that, um, you know, Anthony, you attended uh, uh, USC, that football factory, and great, you know, outstanding institution, of course, out west. And, Michael, I think <laughs> you, you uh, attended uh, New Mexico. Is it New Mexico State, or did you go to University of New Mexico? I'm to New Mexico State University. Go uh, Aggies. Okay, there we go. Uh, oh, Aggies! Wait a minute! I fight thought, on! Fight on! I thought I thought there was only one Aggie on the line. We got Donovan Dooley, is North Carolina A&T Aggie. I thought there was only one Aggie. But you know, but you know, we're the best Aggie. So you already know it's only one type <laughs> oh. of Aggie. Oh, I, I thought that was okay. I thought that was Texas A&M. Stop! <laughs> stop it! Stop. That's blasphemy! Stop it! Uh, what? What? Everybody what? knows about that Aggie pride. <laughs> <What's> <laughs> 
<laughs> may, may I ask you two guys, what what the hell is an Aggie anyway? Could somebody explain what's an Aggie? Isn't it like a bulldog? See, when you get it, it, it's, it's funny, Mr. Rose. When you get beat by us so much, you would think you would know what our mascot is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 you would think. Oh, you would think, right? But that's your bad Aggie. I have no comeback. Dog. But what is it, a mule? That, that's funny. Is it a mule? Is Aggie a mule? It's, it's a dog. It's essentially a dog. Yeah. A dog. Wait. It's a bulldog. Okay. Kind all right. of. Uh, anyway. Anyway. Whoa. But listen, what? What? Um. Uh, the, the reason I asked all that is okay, what? 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 Um prompted you to do this this film and and there's so many themes to choose from uh anthony what what you know how did you um decide what to you know what themes to highlight and who to highlight well you know what it's funny the way that this started um so i've been at the nfl for a while and last uh roughly around this time last year um the nfl uh honored all of the Hall of Famers from historically black colleges and universities at the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. with Doug Williams as well being the uh, the one Hall of Famer that was also honored. And they had this great pageant where they brought all these guys out prior to the game, and they were all honored. Um, so, you know, coming out of that experience and being around all those guys, just wanted to do something going into Black History Month this year that was centered around historically black colleges and universities. And, uh, and that's when we brought Michael on. Uh, and, and Michael really kind of keyed in on, on a couple of guys that, that, you know, had stories, um, that he wanted to tell and that also in many ways, you know, span the history of HBCUs going back to the, you know, sixties, early seventies with Mel Blunt through the seventies, eighties, and then Marquette King being, uh, being the, the more recent guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was at that Super Bowl, uh, and, uh, you know, sitting in the press box, I looked at the reaction of a lot of the report, particularly some of the younger uh, reporters there, uh, and they had no idea, you know, uh, they had no idea that these great players had come from HBCUs. You know, they were really kind of sort of, I think, stunned. And, of course, that raises the question, well, you know, what happened? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. you know, which which – uh, we we could probably get into that a little a little later. Why, why did you um, decide to? You, I mean, you couldn't go wrong with almost anybody you chose, but you told a really good story from um, you know Doug to uh, Jerry Rice uh, uh, to um, Marquette. Um, how did you finally decide on those on, on those four? Well, it was. It was really when we were brainstorming the idea of how we were going to do this in, in, in a way that was going to really impact the the kind of youth of today. Like you said, you know, a lot of the young reporters you were there with did not were stunned to to, to, mm-hmm. to know that these great talents came out of HBCU. So we really wanted to do something that really informed and enlightened um, this new generation. Um, and so we decided to do something that was more of a generational. Um, kind of theme to it. Um, starting with Mel, um, we're coming up in the in the late '60s and early '70s, getting into the NFL, going to Doug, who was um, mid to late '70s, into Jerry, into the early '80s, and of course he went for another 20 years, hmm. and then Marquette, who is currently now in the NFL doing his thing. Um, and just to hear those four perspectives as the as both culture changed, you know, America changed, and the game changed. You're hearing these stories of what these gentlemen have gone through in order for Marquette King to be Marquette King. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, like for me, I, I wanted to ask like a kind of a two-part question. You mentioned earlier about how you felt like the story of these players not only were unique to them, but kind of encompassed HBCUs as a whole in their history. Uh, number one, I kind of want you to expound on that. And number two, I wanted to know how you got such great access to these players. A lot of the um, scenes in your documentary, you're up close and personal with these players and even going on taking trips into their daily lives. Like you follow Jerry Rice to um, his workout place in, at, the, at the community college and just all these different events, even Marquette King going to the MA, MMA ring. Well, you know, I'll take the second. I'll let Michael take the first part of the question. Um, so with the, with the access, and again, this is, you know, having, you know, on the ground, having a director as talented and as likable as, as, as Michael dealing with the players. But uh, in many cases, it's also with Doug. Like I've done, like I did a documentary on Doug a couple of years ago. Um, I've done multiple things with Jerry Rice, you know, the NFL. You know, we have great relationships with, with Mel and with, with Marquette. And I think more than anything, I think that, that our relationship, our relationships with each of these guys, and the fact that you know, the fact that it was this story as well. I mean, sometimes you know, you ask you know players, you ask coaches for access, and it's you know, it's not something that you know, it's something you want to do, but it might not necessarily be something that they're invested in. Right. And right. each of these right. guys was invested in telling these stories. Um, right. In addition to that, it's like you've heard so much about. Mel Blunt, you know, we've seen the Jerry Rice football life. You know, we, you know, we've heard Doug Williams' story about being the first black quarterback to win the Super Bowl. You know, Marquette is, you know, this guy who's this larger-than-life personality. He's doing a lot of, you know, interesting things on and off the field. Um, but these are, like, the story of them at HBCUs is often a, a story that's forgotten and not told. Um, it's like we never really hear the story. I mean, so many people don't even know that Jerry Rice, who, you know, is one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time, went to a historically black college. You know, Walter Payton, you know, as, you know, Bill, as you said earlier, you know, it, it's forgotten the history. So they were very interested and very invested in telling these often forgotten parts of their biographies, mm-hmm. um, which I think is one of the reasons. That and the fact that we, you know, we've, we've, had, we've had good relations, uh, relationships with them in the past on past projects, I think that's why they were willing to give us the access and to open up the way that they did. People didn't know that the new generation has no idea that once upon a time that all of these phenomenal athletes that you see now in the NFL, their only option in college was to go to an HBCU. I mean, can you imagine if every player in the NFL currently and every current college player was at HBCUs right now? Where would HBCUs be at in this day and age? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, think about, think about, think about if you just look at the last 10 years, players that have come out of SEC and ACC and Big 12 schools. I mean, you have Cam Newton coming out of Auburn. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, Dak Prescott coming out of Mississippi State. I mean, all the players, Patrick Peterson and Tyron Matthew and all these guys coming out of, out of LSU. I mean, all of them would have been going to Grambling or Southern or Alabama A&M and Florida A&M and, North Carolina A and T, and you know right. it's it's you, know, or, or, you, you just stop and look at at the the black players that are coming out of Southern schools. Um, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Well, of course, the other way to look at it uh, is that if, if if Jerry and Marquette and Doug were were coming out of school now, would they go still? You know, go to an HBCU? I mean, it's sort of two ways to, right. to you know two ways to look at it. I mean, I think. You know, uh, yeah. uh, Donovan did a lot of great work with Tariq Cohen. Uh, 
who um, you know went yep. to A and T yep. and now did had a great year with the Bears. So I guess the, the question is, given all the talent, would these guys, you know, would they go to uh, HBCUs? Now, given, you know, sort of what they knew and all that. I mean, they, they said they would, or, or they didn't say they would. They said that they don't regret it. They don't regret the experience. Um, but I was wondering what, I mean, let's kind of stay on that, on that line that both, uh, you know, um, Anthony and, and Michael, you guys brought up after the project was, was over. What did you leave with? What did you think? Did you think that this was just a golden era and, and, and we will never recapture? What, what were your sort of your your lasting um, thoughts um, as you left the project? And if I could uh, if I could uh, piggyback off of that real quick, what do you think is the role you know of HBCUs in you know twenty eighteen? Mm-hmm. Mm, both very excellent questions. I can only speak from my personal experience. Both my father and my uncle went to historically black colleges and universities. Again, coming up from, coming from the south and from Georgia, and all my family's from Georgia. That was their only option. And my father went to Savannah State University, and my my, um, my uncle went to uh, was up north. And after after this whole documentary was finished, I'd heard all the stories from my father and my uncles, but hearing it from Doug Williams, Jerry Rice, um, Mel Blunt, and even Marquette to some degree, yeah. it just really hit home for me how important they were, and how important HBCUs should continue to be. Only because, like I said, I went to a predominantly white university. And the difference for me was that there was, it's just, like Doug Williams says, there's just not that, that interest in you succeeding as an African-American. Not to say that any of my teachers wanted me, didn't want me to succeed, but there wasn't that extra just, hey, you need to succeed for these reasons, for us as a race, as, as, as a people, you know, and I'm here to help you achieve that. Um, there just wasn't any of that. You very much felt like you were, you, you're, you're on your own here. Hmm. You know, there's, there's nobody here to, you, you're going to have to do it yourself and that's it. You'll be all alone in this, in this endeavor. And so coming away from this entire project and working with Doug and Jerry and them, I felt, honestly, I was like, man, I should have went to an HBCU. I would have greatly benefited from it. Um, from being in that environment of like-minded people and, and somebody just there to say, hey, you know, you're more than what people expect you to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show you how to get there. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about that, Anthony? Uh, well, I mean, for and me, because, I, I mean, because like, I, almost went to H- I, I, I almost went to HBCU. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, uh, like, I've long had, long had a, a love and appreciation of kind of what, what HBCUs are. And, you know, Doug Williams actually says it in the film. He says, you know, HBCUs, you know, you know, we can go anywhere now, but anywhere isn't for everybody. Right. You know, right. you know, some of us still need, you know, HBCUs. And I think that, that they still serve a purpose. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you know, obviously the sense of, of, of community. Um, but I think, you know, in these times that we live in now that can be so divisive, I think that they, they still serve a purpose. But, I mean, I think also, at the same time, you know, we have the options now. And that's right, one of the great right. things, you know, that, that, that kind of came out of the civil rights movement, is that we have the option to do, you know, whatever whatever we want, you know, or go to school wherever we want. Mm-hmm. But when you see all those guys lined up and you see how many great players went to HBCUs, uh, I mean, that is eye-opening. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you felt, Bill, you know, kind of seeing all of them lined up. But, uh, you know, when you start adding, you start putting things together, like, yeah, Deacon Jones went to one. And, you know, Michael Strahan went to an HBCU. And you start, you know, putting everything together. It's still pretty impressive. Yeah, well, I, I, what I thought of it is great. I that, want to ask. It's, it's great. Um, that, wait a minute, Aggie. It's great that Morgan Morgan <laughs> has four Hall of Famers. Uh, just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> how many how, how many does A&T have, uh, Donovan? We got enough. In the Hall of Fame? <laughs> yeah, we got enough. He said enough. Uh, enough, right. Hey, I'm sorry, Don, what, what were you going to say? Yeah, I kind of wanted to get into a question. I know you guys both mentioned the community aspect of HBCUs and kind of the empowerment that you feel from from going to one that you guys could feel throughout talking to these different to your to your parents and to um, these different players. I kind of wanted to know from your experience of working with um, athletes, especially NFL players who didn't go to HBCUs and now working with players who did. Do you feel that sense of community is different with players who actually did went to did go to HBCU rather than ones that didn't? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, from my experience with undrafted, I worked with worked with a lot of athletes that went to you know some went to very high profile schools and as well as, you know smaller um, predominantly white schools. And in working with this project with uh, you know athletes that went to HBCU, there is an absolute difference. Um, and this is kind of there's a, there's a greater sense of self. Um, I feel with athletes uh, that come from HBCUs, um, only because uh, you know HBCUs they instill that in you. You know there is that greater sense of self and, and who you are in this world, and your contribution to this world. You know, and certain expectations of what you're expected to do in this world. Yeah, Michael just said something that that reminded me of something else. Just kind of reading a lot of articles. Uh, just kind of coming out after after the success of Black Panther, and you know having Chadwick Boseman, you know an alum mm. from Howard, narrate right. that was you know was was huge for us. But you know kind of seeing some of the articles in regards to how you know Felicia Rashad and Denzel Washington and you know some higher profile African Americans were supporting the program at Howard um, uh, while he was there. I mean that was one takeaway that I did take away from this film. You know is support for for you know for these schools and us as a community supporting the schools you know we go there or not our guests are uh, anthony smith is, is a producer and michael gleaton is a director of a really great film that's a doc- documentary that's going to air uh breaking ground um just before we let you guys go uh and, and again this is you, you know you covered four stories and i'm sure there's you, there are probably like 20 more i mean you know uh, Will Lanier, Leroy Kelly, or just, you know, on and on and on. Um, but what do you want people to think when they when they look at this? Because, you know, realistically, you know, when you look at the kids who are going to Alabama now and Texas or even USC, and they're playing in front of, you know, 80,000 people, 90,000 people, TV. Um, you know, today is the news uh uh, this week was about um, NCA scandal about uh, a big agency paying money to put, you know, in other words, black athletes have meant, meant so much to all these big programs. What do you want to leave people with when they, when they see the very last interview, the very last cutaway, what do you want uh, them to feel? Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a very good question. <laughs> you know, in some ways it's a history lesson and it's, kind of reminding people of our history 
you know, as African Americans, but also as, you know, as a country in general. And as, as, you know, you know, people that work for the NFL, this is also the NFL's history. You know, post 19, you know, 60, this is the story of the NFL. You can't tell the story of the NFL without Jerry Rice and Walter Payton and Michael Strahan currently and Deacon Jones and Willie Lanier and, you know, Doug Williams, all of these people. The NFL's man of the year is named after Walter Payton, you know. I mean, uh, sack comes from Deacon Jones. Uh, you know, Jerry Rice, you right. know, is, you know, has all of the records in the, you know, for receivers. So in many ways, it's telling a forgotten piece of NFL history while also shining a light on, on these forgotten stories of these schools that are still around and are, you know, still, still not only vital to the black community, but vital to, to America at large. Uh, that's a that's a great point that Anthony makes, and I I would I would just like to say you know one of my favorite lines from the entire documentary does come very close to the end of the documentary, and it's a it's a it's a quote from Mel Blunt where he's he says basically that um, you cannot measure our progress by the places we're allowed to go, hmm. right. and I think it's just a great reminder to the black community. Um, as well as the community at large, is that there's there's still work to be done, and there's a lot of work to be done on, from all sides. And we should never forget the the folks that came before us that have laid the groundwork, that have struggled. You know, you hear the stories of Doug, you know, of, of getting horrible letters, death threats, and all that stuff. You hear the the stories from Jerry and from Mel and. And the things that they went through in order to succeed in their lives and to elevate not just the black race, but elevate all of us. Mm-hmm. I guess the question, and this really doesn't have anything as much to do with the film, but do you think there's anything that HBCUs could have done? You know, knowing what they knew, or maybe in retrospect, if they knew then what they know now, is there anything that HBCUs could have done to stop this onslaught? Or was the reality is that? as these players became so valuable to the economics of big-time football, maybe there was nothing that could have prevented them from, you know, from snapping up the great black athletes because they were economic components. Or, or is this, do you think there's something that could have been done? Well, it's, it's, it's really a matter of economics. I mean, it wasn't just the black athletes that left with desegregation. It was also the, the black professors. And so they lost that talent too. So you couple that with the athletes and, and, and God knows what else, you know, walked up out of the, the predominantly black, the black schools, you know, it, it, it's devastating for those schools. Um, and I'm not sure that there anything could have been, that the HBCUs could have done anything to prevent that um, without the economic resources to keep those teachers, to keep those athletes, to build big, you know, football programs that rival any football program to keep those athletes and, and be in the conversation when someone's getting ready to leave high school and the number one receiver in the nation and, and is ready to sign somewhere. I don't know if there's anything they could have done. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think in some ways, I just finished reading a, a book on, uh, on Jackie Robinson's first, first season in with the Dodgers. And, you know, in some ways it goes back to, it goes back to the 1947. I mean, in, in many ways, that's the, the trade off of integra- integration. Um, is that, I mean, you know, the Negro leagues, you know, within 10 years are, you know, are, are, you know, are gone. And, and, you know, as integration, you know, spreads, 
you know, a lot of black businesses and black-owned successful businesses, you know, kind of go away. And, yeah, to, to echo what, what Michael's saying, I mean, I, I don't know if there was anything that could have been done once integration started. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know what can be done now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's up to, to, to us to tell our children and, and make HBCUs an option for them. Put that in the conversation. You know, if you've got a, a 16, you know, even a 14-year-old, you know, just entering high school, you know, start having those conversations of, you know, hey, HBCUs are an option. Here, let's go take a look at this school. Let's just travel up to, to Howard. Let's travel to Grambling. Let's go take, take a look at these places and at least put it on their radar. So it's, yeah. it's an option. It's a possible option. Give them the opportunity to be in that environment, be in that community, feel it, and maybe it'll, 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 it'll hold. Maybe it won't, but at least it's in the conversation. But as you mentioned, I mean, you know, there's, that's why I guess that's what makes the educational system in this country, you know, great and that you do have a lot of options. And I think that we should, you know, it, it takes several approaches to continue to move us in the right direction. And, uh, you know, this this was a great, and you're still going to have, I think, I don't know what you guys think, I, you're still going to have now and then some great players coming out of these schools, um, but nowhere near what it was like in the period that uh, uh, that you covered. Um, looking back on the lives and the stuff with Blunt and his son uh, was really, uh, really great. I thought about it as I was watching, you know, he, where he's working his son out at Southern. And I was just thinking, must be really hard to be the son of like an NFL legend. You know, I mean, they, they, they named, <laughs> I was a defensive back uh, at Morgan. I was telling the, uh, the, the <laughs> students that my defensive backfield coach had, had coached Blunt and Ray Jones at Southern. And, you know, they came mm-hmm. in with that whole bump and run technique, which was sort of the, the thing. It was all the rage. It, it chased a whole bunch of white guys out the league. Trust me. And, and and they they no it did it really changed like Raymond Bear chased a whole bunch of guys out the league, yeah, you know and that's really when you start have a whole bunch of black receivers coming in because he said you know we got it how can we do? but it's funny that his son you know that that they made the the Mel Blunt rule I mean that's what they called it when they said that you can't do that anymore because Blunt would just destroy people I mean it was just, you know and you see how big the guy is he's like six three and a half you know and was just mean and serious and they said man we can't you know, it's like taking candy from a baby. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't well, even know it, that it was called the uh, Mel Blunt rule until then. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I wasn't aware of that. Obviously, I'm familiar with the with the rule, but I was like, oh, that's that's because of him? Okay, wow. that's. And then his response when he said, um, oh, when uh, he, they found out about the rule, because he said that, like, a lot of the players, you know, lived a uh, different place. So when they actually came back to training camp and they told him about the rule, he was like, Oh yeah, let's go make him change another rule. I was like, Oh snap. Like this man has some dog in him. Like he's ready for it. Like that was, yeah, maybe they should have the, yeah, uh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. The uh, Rooney rule. Maybe, you know, that, that's another, that's another, that's another segment. <laughs> hey, but listen, uh, our guest, <laughs> been, been, uh, Anthony Smith, the producer of the film and director, uh, Michael Gleaton, who've come up with a really tremendous documentary, uh, on the NFL Network, um, you guys just did a tremendous, uh, tremendous job, and uh, you know we we appreciate it. Uh, you know we thank you, and um, you know we're looking forward to your. We're looking forward to the next one. So, but anyway, but thank you guys again. Oh, the film oh, is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the film is called Breaking Ground. Tell all your friends about it, 
And uh, really kudos to you guys. But th- thanks for doing the film, and thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks so much Thank for having me. Thank you so me. much, Bill. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as All Day. What are those? And Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.